It's Tuesday, March 29th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, I am grateful to have Lynette Ezel and Tara Melber here on the Defender Podcast, and uh, both of these ladies have been on the Defender Podcast before, and they are no strangers to podcasts. They actually co-host the Adoption and Fostering Home podcast, uh, and both of them uh, serve with their husbands with the North American Mission Board and the partner uh, organization of North American Mission Board, or the part of North American Mission Board called Send Relief. Uh, Lynette has been married to Kevin for 33 years and lives in Atlanta. Um, Kevin is the president for the North American Mission Board. They have six children, and their youngest three were brought into their home through adoption. Uh, They also have six grandchildren who have joined their home through domestic adoption. And so Lynette trains foster families in the state of Georgia and is passionate towards equipping the local church to engage foster care and adoption. And actually with Tara, they both uh, have an organization or uh, a group called Restoring Dignity Georgia, where they are helping equip the local church to engage foster youth and kids in foster care. And certainly uh, looking forward to having them talk a little bit more about that. And Tara is the wife to David. And David directs Send Relief, which is a part of the North American Mission Board. Uh, She is a mom also to six children and has one grandchild. Uh, David and Tara began their international adoption journey of three of their children 15 years ago from the Philippines and Ethiopia. And Tara is also a parent educator with Chosen, sharing trauma-informed education and strategies to families all across the country. And so, ladies, we're thrilled to have you both. And y'all have such a wealth of experience, both from walking this journey at home and walking this journey experientially, but also the Lord has just blessed both of you with such wisdom and passion and uh, just grateful for what you mean to the church and what you mean uh, to adopting and foster families, not only in Georgia, but around the country. And so uh, I guess first, Lynette, will you just tell us a little bit more about your family outside of that bio? Oh, thanks, Herbie. Thanks for having us today. Tara and I are so honored. Um, Yeah, we do. So Kevin and I started our adoption journey almost 20 years ago. I cannot believe that. And um, we started with China and she was one. And then we brought home a little girl who was three from Ethiopia and then brought home a son, interrupted birth order. That's a big buzzword right now, but we interrupted birth order and brought home a 12 year old from the Philippines. But this journey of uh, talking about bias and that sort of thing, it really started for me when my uh, Asian daughter was three. We were sitting in a McDonald's. She had her little piggy tails in. We were sitting there as a fam, um, just me and my kids. So there's four kids at the time. And we had some racial slurs thrown at us that this uh, lady sitting in McDonald's, she was sitting right beside us, was very anti, um, uh, against Asians, you know, just, uh, and was just, really aggravated that we were in her space in her same restaurant and was just very, very rude. Thankfully, my daughter didn't catch that at the time because she was just three. And um, my son did that. My biological kids caught it. And it's just something we've never forgotten. And we did happen to see that lady out more, you know, like at the grocery store, that sort of thing. But I'll never forget that moment when it started. um, And I realized, okay, this is going to be a journey. This could be a bumpy ride, you know, and just Really, uh, that moment was just uh, pivotal for my family 
especially my biological kids, and we realized, okay, we do look different to the world. We do look different when we go out and about. And what are we going to do about that? How are we going to handle it? Yeah. And so, Tara, your family, uh, while it looks different, uh, does look a little similar to the Ezel family. So tell us a little bit about your family. And then since we are talking about these hard conversations that we have with our kids, what are some hard conversations that you've had to have with your kids regarding race or inclusion? Well, David and I began adopting in uh, our first adopted child uh, came home from the Philippines when she was almost seven years old, um, about 14, 15 years ago. So we had three biological kids. We also adopted out of birth order. That was not our intent, but that's how it worked out. So our kids were 11, 9, and 6 when our daughter joined our home, and we became a conspicuous family. Um, two years later, we brought home a five-and-a-half-year-old little boy from Ethiopia, and then three years later, we brought home a four-year-old little boy from Ethiopia. So they're all big, and some of them are grown now. And um, even though we knew we were a conspicuous family, we got you know, number one, you have six kids, everybody looks at you funny anyway, and then you have kids that don't look like you, and um, then they, you're, it's like a double whammy, they really look at you crazy, so we've had a lot of really interesting conversations and things that have occurred with both our Asian daughter and our African boys, and um, things that I never thought I would have to say out loud, I've had to say, and it's been really sad and hard. I mean, I think one of our very first ones was when we were um, living in another city and our son was on a new soccer team in a new soccer league and he was very good and he was a taller kid and I'm trying to meet these new families and I introduced myself to this lady and I said, hey, which one is yours? And she tells me which one is hers and I said, man, he's really fast. And she said, yeah, he was the fastest and the tallest kid until they found some black kid. Mm. Like, oh, mm. hello, did that just happen? And so mm. she said, so which one's yours? And I said, uh, the black one. <laughs> and so she tried to eat her words. But at that moment, I thought, man, this is unbelievable. And I, I say that, and I hesitate to say that in a bit, because I know that my African-American friends have dealt with it their entire life. And mm. because I'm Caucasian that I've, you know, not had to deal with that. I don't think that I've ever not liked a person or whatever because of the color of their skin or the nation in which they come from. But it became very, very personal to me. And at that particular moment, thankfully, our son did not hear that comment. But um, later in time, in, in fact, in just very recent time, we've had a really difficult situation where our son was riding the bus and he was, um, you know, racial slurs were, were, he was called the N-word multiple times on the bus. And for a little while, he didn't come to tell us, but we saw when he would get off the bus that he was really not himself. And so we just really, you know, pressed into that and found out what was happening. And we said, hey, you know, what, what do you, you know, what do you want us to just jump in and deal with this? Or do you want us to help you out here and, and let you try to deal with it on your own? And so we really enlisted the help of some very wise um, African-American men, friends of ours, who said, you know, these are conversations your son's going to have to have 
his entire life and he's going to respond in certain ways. So we got wisdom from them and shared it with our son. And though the child didn't stop doing it, you know, after a couple more times, we were like, buddy, we love you and we want to help you work through this. But at the same time, we're your parents. And so it's our turn. And so we went to the school system and thankfully they listened and heard. But the one thing that our son said that I thought was really telling was he was old enough to be able to say to us, thanks for, for giving me some wisdom and letting me try, but thank you too that I know you've always got my back and that you're going to protect me and help me. And I mean, at the time, right. 11. So those are conversations yeah. to have that conversation with a kid you adore. Hey buddy, people aren't going to necessarily always like you because of the color of your skin. It's just sad. It's just sad mm-hmm. we live in a broken world. And though these are conversations that I never thought I had, I want to honor him and I want to honor who he is and who the Lord made him to be. And we're going to do all we can to seek wise counsel from those who live in that space. And that's their life in order to be able to parent him well. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the three of us are, are all Caucasian. And I think even like what you said, Tara, I mean, we've, we've really grown up in a place of unfortunately ignorance, uh, to a lot of what our African-American brothers and sisters, especially not, and not just our African-American brothers and sisters, our Latino or Asian brothers and sisters have had to go through in this country. And I know probably like you guys, I grew up in homes where, you know, I was not allowed to look down upon folks of another race. I was blessed to have parents that uh, my mom was a public school educator. And I really, to this day, believe that she loves every single student that's come into her class the same, regardless of their ability, regardless of their race, regardless of their skin tone. And so uh, when I heard the N-word, it was just like any other four-letter word. It was was atrocious. Um, But but we live in a world where it, it seems to be getting worse, not better. Because we also know from a biblical worldview that sin perpetuates upon itself. And when we are bringing in other races and ethnicities into our lives and into our families, we have these hard conversations. And Tara, you even mentioned uh, that you've been in, or I'm sorry, Lynette, you mentioned being in a situation at a restaurant and hearing uh, these racial slurs and, and this lady upset and you're your children who it was directed to missed it, but your biological kids grasped it. And so I'm sure you've had to have hard conversations with your bio kids about race and inclusion, things that they probably had never thought about until they had a brother and a sister in their home that looked different and was treated differently. What are some of these hard conversations you've had to have with your bio kids? You know, um, after that day, I remember just because our son was just in middle school, he was and we had two older girls, and so we just we just addressed it. You know, it's like, look, we know they were so hurt because they loved her so much. And they're, my older kids are really protective of their three younger siblings. But what I have seen in my older kids, uh, I, Tara and I say on our podcast all the time, I laugh. It couldn't have been that bad at our house because my, my older girls have fostered and adopted. They've bought into it. <laughs> so... Um, my uh, second oldest daughter has a biracial uh, daughter. She adopted it and uh, domestically. And then my oldest daughter and her husband were missionaries overseas. And 
today are missionaries in Clarkston, Georgia, which is a, is like the most diverse square mile in the, in the U.S., you know, and so that's where mm-hmm. they live. Uh, they're very much the minority where they live. So um, I think that that, and our son was in Haiti quite a bit with uh, Tara and David, and so I do think that, you know, it's it changed their world, and I, and, and I noticed something about my son when he went to state school, and now he's in a, he's in, he's about to finish college, but he never roomed with, with Caucasians. Like, and then I noticed that about my Filipino son. His best friends in college right now are, are African-American young men. And I just love the way that they have just embraced cultures and different uh, ethnicities, different races. They've just embraced it. And that's their comfort zone. And, and so we just uh, never – my youngest daughter is a very talented runner. She's Ethiopian. And – I purposely drive way out of my way across Atlanta traffic. And so if anybody's driven Atlanta traffic, you get it. But so that she can have, yeah, (laughs) so she can have these strong African-American coaches that we absolutely adore. And not because they're such great coaches. I like their presence in her life and the model that they are before my daughter. So we've really gone out of our way, like, you know, getting our hair done and to make sure that we do, you know, that it's, diverse and that she's comfortable with that and that we're putting role models in all of their lives. And so really, Tara, what, what would you say? Cause I know as well, you've had to have tough conversations with your bio kids and they've been exposed to things that, you know, I think even as parents, we, we want to, unfortunately, sometimes to their detriment when they're young, we want to shelter them from the hurt mm-hmm. and the brokenness of this world. Uh, and obviously we've got to introduce it to them and we've got to let them experience it so they can see it through a biblical lens. But when it comes crashing so early in their lives, not just yeah. the brokenness that, that is easy to see, but the hidden brokenness of racism and ethnocentrism, what are some of those conversations you found yourself having with your kids? Well, I like Lynette, the two of us both grew up in really small towns in different parts of the country, but, um, my, my worldview was really, really small. I mean, really small. Like my backyard, I thought that was the world. And so as the Lord grew us and moved us around in the country and then opened our eyes to the plight of orphans that were going to make our family look differently than most people, I began to hear things like, oh, well, you know, you, you just become colorblind or this or that. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to be colorblind. I want to celebrate the differences in all of our children and in cultures everywhere. I want to be able to celebrate that God is creative and made us in that way. And so combating racism, even in our home, was really, it was very important for David and I to root our children in their identity in Christ, that God created you to be a certain way and look this way. And you have curly hair and I have straight hair and, Um, I have to wear a lot of sunscreen or I turn beet red and you don't have to do that. You don't turn beet red when you are out in the sun. And so celebrating the diversity that we have and not hiding and being afraid of it. But in that same vein, we also have to look at it and say, there's a lot of ugly in the world. And it's because that we're a broken and sinful world. And it's been a way to point our children to understand even more who God is and why his sacrifice for us was so great. 
And so we've had to grieve racism that is against our family and against those whom we love and treasure. And I've had to hold back my older kids to say, you can't go beat that kid up because he said that about your brother, though um, we all want to. We're going to recognize it for what it is. We're going to empower our, our kids, all of our children, to stand up for their siblings and to stand up for others when someone says something nasty to them, even if it's not your siblings, for heaven's sake. But we're going to stand for justice and we're going to make a difference but we're not gonna hide behind anything and say, well, we're colorblind, we're gonna celebrate diversity. So I think it has a lot of things to do with recognizing the sinful broken world, grieving that sinful broken world and how it affects the people that we love and how it affects those who are in the community that are friends and acquaintances and then empowering them to know what to say, to role play at home. What would you do if this happened? What should I do if that happened? But it also, and I know this is the same for Lynette, it really made our family stronger in that yes. it connected our family. Like these kids were adopted. They're not my biological children, but man, they are knit together because they have each other's back always. Mm -hmm. And I know that's true of Lynette and Kevin's family as well. But so it's been a it's been a strengthening time in our family, but it's also helped us to see things through a lens that I never saw through when I was growing up. Yeah. Well, I hope you've enjoyed part one of our conversation with Lynette Ezel and Tara Melber, having hard conversation with your kids about race and adoption. And hopefully join us tomorrow, Wednesday, March 20th, as we continue this very important conversation from these two ladies who have such great wisdom and great experience to be able to speak into these vital issues for our children and for our country and for our day. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.